The reading this morning is taken from 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verses 1 to 15. There is no need for me to write to you about this service to the Lord's people, for I know your eagerness to help, and I have been boasting about it to the Macedonians, telling them that since last year in Achaia you were ready to give, and your enthusiasm had stirred most of them to action. But I am sending the brothers in order that our boasting about you in this matter should not prove hollow, but that you may be ready, as I said, would be. So you may be ready, as I said you would be. For if any Macedonians come with me and find you unprepared, we, not to say anything about you, would be ashamed of having been so confident. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to visit you in advance and finish the arrangements for the generous gift you had promised. Then it will be ready as a generous gift, not as a grudgingly, not as one grudgingly given. Generosity encouraged. Verse 6. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each one of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work, as it is written. They have freely scattered the gifts to the poor, their righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion and through us your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people but it also, oh, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God because of the service by which you have proved yourselves. Others will praise God for obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. So first of all, um, thank you very much, Kath, for reading for us. It is, uh, I hadn't even thought about who might read, so I'm glad that was all organised. So the, the reading we had clearly was about giving and generosity. But the first time I read it, and I guess from you, for you hearing it here, it doesn't necessarily tell us the whole story. It's not, because, it's, because the reading is a letter, a letter written by Paul to the people in Corinth, we've only got half the story, really. I don't know if you read other people's letters. You don't have to admit that if you do. But, but really, if you read somebody else's letter, you normally don't get the full sense of what's going on, because you've only got half the conversation. So I thought, to start with, we would have a little bit of, uh, 
of what I'm calling What's the Story About Corinth? So a little bit of background, which I hope will help us to kind of place today's uh, reading in its context. Okay, so here we see a map showing Corinth. So you can see we've got Italy, and in the middle we've got Greece, and then we've got Asia to the right, and Jerusalem is towards the right-hand side, just off the map, as always. There's always something off the map, isn't there, when you show these things. But you can see Corinth is on what is almost an island. You can see that the southern part of Greece there is joined to the northern part by a land bridge. And uh, that's interesting because it meant that Corinth was an important seaport. And apparently, in ancient times, uh, sailors were, were not very keen on sailing around the south of Greece because it was dangerous. So what they used to do, they used to sail up the channel to Corinth, and then teams of slaves would then carry or pull the ships across the land bridge to the other side, and then they would continue their sailing from the other side, which is quite incredible. And Corinth, having actually two seaports, as you can imagine, was quite a cosmopolitan city. Lots of people trading from all over the world. And it also meant that Corinth was a very strategic place for trade, um, and also for trade from the north and the south of, uh, from the south to the north of Greece over the land bridge. So a very strategic city, a very ancient city, going back to ancient Greek uh, civilizations. Although at the time of our reading, Corinth is now in part of the Roman Empire. But it still has a lot of the legacy from the old Greek city. So here we see the most famous site in Corinth. So this is the Acropolis, which is basically a, a raised uh, fortification, which in fact is on a hill overlooking the city. And it's the site of a very famous temple, the Temple of Aphrodite. Now, Af the Temple of Aphrodite was, of course, a pagan temple. And its main purpose was the worship of the female body. Now, I don't think you need much imagination to, to realize what was going on in Corinth. So immorality in Corinth was absolutely rife. Corinth was famous for its immorality. And that meant it wasn't particularly an easy place to work in. It was a pretty rough place and very much an immoral place. All kinds of immorality were there. So, this, uh, to find out about how the church was established in Corinth, we need to go to Acts chapter 18. So I'm not going to read all this, but just pull out the main points. So the church in Corinth was founded by Paul in around 50 AD. So he was on his second missionary journey from Jerusalem. And 
When he arrived in Corinth, he was helped by two Jewish refugees, Aquila and Priscilla. So they had been expelled from Rome uh, by the Emperor Claudius. That's the same emperor that invaded Britain, as it happens. Um, And as usual on his missionary journeys, Paul went to the synagogue to preach. Well, his preaching in the synagogue started okay, but as soon as he started saying that Jesus was the Christ, the Jews became very angry and they threw him out. Fortunately, there was a non-Jew who was a God-fearer who wanted to know more, and he and Paul uh, and some Jews uh, established the church. But it was mainly a church for non-Jewish people. It was mainly for Gentile people. But amazingly, the ruler of the synagogue called Crispus uh, became a Christian and joined the church. So that's quite amazing. So Paul stayed in Corinth for about 18 months before he moved on to his next point, which was... uh, Okay, I should have mentioned, actually, that in in his first letter to the church in Corinth, Paul tells them that he came to Corinth with fear and trembling. And that's not surprising when we think about what Corinth was like as a city. And he did have a rough time in the synagogue but it was a pretty evil city to be in as well. So the church in Corinth uh, continued. Paul continued on his missionary journeys. And he heard about the church in Corinth from time to time by other missionaries who were traveling around, such as Titus, who we, we heard about in our reading. So looking at the church about five years after it was founded, How did the church fare after Paul had left them? And we get a good insight into what had been happening in the church in the first and second letters to the Corinthians, which of course we have in the Bible. So what does Paul say about Corinth, the church in Corinth, in 1 Corinthians? And in short, Paul is not a happy bunny. He is not at all complimentary to what is going on in Corinth. So let's just see a summary of what was going on and why Paul was so concerned. So what was wrong with the church at Corinth? This is a summary, really, of 1 Corinthians. We're definitely not going to read it all now. So you can see there, number one, there were divisions in the church. It wasn't a united church. They weren't following Jesus. Rather, they tended to follow certain people in the church. And so we get a group of people who were following Paul, even though he wasn't there. And we get people following other church leaders or prominent people such as Apollos and Cephas. So the church was split up into factions and therefore not able to function very well. We see this in chapter 1 and 3 of 1 Corinthians. Next on the list, immorality. There was immorality in the church, and specifically we're told that there was incense, incest, not incense, incest in the church. (laughs) We find that in chapters 5 to 6. 
And in a way, it's not surprisingly because we know that Corinth was really an evil place and very difficult for a new church not to be influenced by the surrounding culture. And maybe some of the church members themselves had been caught up in that before they became Christians. So immorality was a big problem. They were also worshipping pagan gods. And of course, there'd been a long history of pagan worship in Corinth, so idolatry. The people had received the Holy Spirit in, in Corinth, but some of the spiritual gifts they were given were being misused. So in other words, instead of using those gifts for building up the church and serving the community, those gifts were being used more to promote their own positions and to their own advantage. And we can read about that in chapter 14. Paul's response to all this was quite sharp. He wrote a very hard-hitting letter, and he did include quite a lot of corrective teaching, explaining to them why it was that they shouldn't be behaving in this manner. So overall, a church that started off presumably quite well with Paul in charge, but in the following years it's tending to fall apart. Now, moving on about two years, we come to the second letter of Paul's, 2 Corinthians. So this was written, we know, in the later part of 56 AD. So it's only one or two years after 1 Corinthians. And yet what we find here is a really marked contrast compared to 1 Corinthians. In the first place, the tone of the letter is much more affectionate. Paul talks affectionately about the people in Corinth. He appreciates them. So something has happened. And it seems that they took very seriously the first letter that he sent. It seems that they've repented of a lot of the evil things that they were doing. And the church seems to have been transformed. So that's really what we like to see, isn't it? We like to see transformation. And I remember Nathaniel talking about transformation at the beginning of this year, that lives will be transformed by the gospel, by an encounter with Jesus. So what's the evidence that the church in Corinth had really been transformed? So if we look at 2 Corinthians, we can see a number of ways in which the church has changed its ways, if you like. But in our reading today, it's all about generosity and giving. And the context of this, which is why we need background, because it doesn't tell us this in the letter very clearly, is that the church in Jerusalem, which of course was the first church founded after Jesus departed, the church at Jerusalem was having a very hard time, partly because most of the members were very poor and also because there was a famine. So they were poor in the first place, but the famine just added to that. In some ways it perhaps mirrors a little bit our current situation with so many people struggling to pay their bills because of the world uh, situation. 
Now when we came, come to our reading, we, we saw in verses one to five of chapter nine in Corinthians two, second Corinthians, that the Corinthian church were ready to give. They had told Paul that they were ready to give and that they were going to do that. Now Paul, to be honest, was a little bit concerned about whether this promise would actually happen. Given the history of the church, that's not surprising. But anyway, so Titus had gone to Corinth to try and find out whether the Corinthians were serious about giving this gift. And indeed, there was evidence because the Corinthian church really did want to give. In fact, they were ahead of other churches in raising money for giving, it seems. So here we have evidence that they were transforming from a very inward-looking church to one which was much more outward-looking, concerned about other churches and the community. Well, they'd had an appeal from Jerusalem for funding and support, and it just so happens that we are also in a situation where most of us have been aware that there is an appeal at St. Margaret's. So um, I, think, I think most people have seen this, uh, this letter from the PCC. Would that be a yes? Okay. And the background to this is, of course, and the reason why we're here is, of course, because St. Margaret's is having a new heating system installed. The downside is that it's costing about £200,000 for this phase. And, but, as you know, we've been incredibly fortunate because we've had a legacy from somebody who came to St. Margaret's as a child and appreciated it, um, Colin Slater. Colin Slater. So that legacy is going to give us about £100,000. And Jane and Pepper have worked very hard to get some grants on top of that. So we've got about £180,000, but we need about another £20,000. And Pepper tells me that a number of people have already made pledges to give, which is going to give us about a quarter of that. But anyway, we, we obviously need some more. And in the second part of our reading, it tells us something about the principles of giving, which is quite handy. So I think I might read one or two bits from this. So I think verse six is really important. So it says, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. So there's a kind of promise there that when we're generous in our giving, usually the return is greater. And I don't know how many of you were, well, let me just say something. To this is not the first time that we have been worshiping at Shipley First School. Those of you who were around in 1976, I don't know, who, I'm not going to ask who was here in 1976, but not everybody was here in 1976. But at that time, St. Margaret was having a refurbishment 
quite a big refurbishment to make it suitable for community work. It, was, it had old-fashioned pews, which weren't very helpful, and the small rooms really needed doing up. We needed a new kitchen, needed new facilities. So we, we decided to embark on a refurbishment, and the estimated cost was going to be about £60,000. In the end, it turned out to be something like £85,000. And just as now, we asked people if they would pledge to give regularly for over a period of time to, to get that, that funding. And of course, as you know, the refurbishment did happen, and people were extremely generous. So there we are. This time, we're only asking for 20k, not 80k. So that should be easy, really. Um, <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, OK, so we had the refurbishment done. Um, one thing that was really positive about that was that the local council, Bradford Council, wanted to set up children's centres. And they were looking for suitable premises. Because St Margaret's had been refurbished, it was attractive to them as a children's centre. So that was a spin-off, really important spin-off. And uh, it also meant that they put in more funding to, to further upgrade the building. So there's an example of how you know, generosity and giving actually brought more returns. And I think if you, talk to, if you talk to Christians who give, not necessarily just financially, but also in terms of service, maybe working abroad and that kind of thing, giving up quite a lot, the majority of them seem to say, well, actually, I've gained so much more. And some of you, I think you know that I, I worked in India for a couple of years, and that was... I was, like Paul, I was kind of in fear and trembling before I went. It was actually my first trip abroad to go to India. Um, but in many ways, I think I have gained far more than I gave at that time, actually, far more. And that's still affecting me today. So, you know, I would encourage you to be generous, because, uh, not, not because of what we might get back, but because uh, we want to see God's church continue and thrive in Frisinghall. Um, verse 7 tells us that giving should be from the heart. So despite everything that I'm saying, the most important thing is that it's something that we should do if we really feel that it's right for us. We, we should not be putting pressure on anybody. Okay, so please remember that. There's, there's never any pressure at St. Margaret's. Okay? I hope. Right. <laughs> so I think the bottom line there is please pray, pray to seek what is right for you. Is, is God prompting you to give something for this project? And if he is, I'm sure that you will be blessed. Okay, so I think that's about it. Thank you very much.